This meeting is being recorded. And if you're being told twice that this meeting is being recorded, it can only mean another stirring edition of Forward Maryland. My name is Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. And we are welcome. Or morning or whatever time it is. (laughs) Whatever time it is where you are. To our, to our viewers and listeners in New Zealand right now, why aren't you in bed? So today is our notorious and momentous 200th episode. And to we welcome today back to the show after a bit of a Dr. Hiramatus, the original founding co-host of the Great Forward Maryland podcast, Mr. Jason Booms. Jason Welcome back, kind sir. Hey, everybody. Hey, Bill. Hey, Steve. Great to be back. So uh, so I, I, I have the beautiful mind uh, background on because it can only fit your intellectual stylings. So, so you know, <laughs> what have you been doing while you have been in the hinterlands of West Columbia and elsewhere? Oh, you know, uh, tracking Nina Turner's election uh, numbers <laughs> for, for, for two... <laughs> Slightly less than successful uh, congressional bids. Uh, what else? What else? I've I've been doing a, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of soul searching, a lot of reading, um, actually, and I'm I'm a, a great frame of mind because I well I'm not gonna say I finished with, but I am twenty pages away from being done with how civil wars start and how to oh! start. Oh, so. Reading a lot about super factionalization and uh, reading about. Uh, what happens when various groups, uh, you know, think they're falling out of favor, they're losing stature. And so it's, uh, yeah, some, uh, you know, frightening reading uh, relative to what's going on in the world today. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm up to. Uh, and uh, what, what would be the level of correlation of world uh, disrupting slash destroying scenarios that are outlined in said book? present with what's currently being experienced today oh we're all incredibly doomed uh but uh putting it mildly the uh i think the according to the scales i'm reading uh you know we're definitely already on the civil strife scale based on number of fatalities per year um we're not quite at the civil war levels uh in terms of body counts but it's it's not trending well. It's based on the hyper radicalization of various militia groups and everything else that's going on in the world uh, that we know too well, um, where there's this disconnect between you know reality and uh, and those who believe otherwise. So it, it it looks troublesome. Bridge over troubled waters. Trouble times. Indeed, <laughs> trouble right here in River City. I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> However that song goes. <laughs> Trouble with the Popomatic. <laughs> oh nice. Uh, but yeah, so uh so just busy reading about the world. And so that's that's what I'm up to. Excellent. Excellent. It's, it's it, it, I we're glad to to know that you are spending your time wisely in a, in a proactive fashion <laughs> and staying away from the many, many, many teensy weensy brush fires and turf wars that go on in the county of Howard. (laughs) So it is on a bigger scope that most of this podcast production today is based. So first, we would be remiss because we haven't talked about it for a couple episodes because we knew it was coming up for 200 to talk about the current 
um, cachet of legal troubles with former President Donald Trump. Don't think I need to go ahead and restate, you know, the FBI raid, the finding of the papers, the classified papers, the uh, now semi-released uh, affidavit as to why the government came in to uh, pull the papers out of Mar-a-Lago. Um, you know, where we stand, uh, it's questionable as to whether or not the former president could be up on possible criminal charges. And of course, now there's political calculations about whether or not those charges, if they were to happen, you know, before the midterms, after the midterms, before 24, after 24. So hypotheticals on top of hypotheticals. Steve, it's a big friggin' mess. What do you, what do you, what do you, what, what's your take on this? Well, let, let me start out by, first of all, congratulating Bill, you and Jason, the OG in the house on episode number 200. You guys started this thing and, and I am going with the Orioles Hawaiian shirt in celebration of 200 episodes and Oh, by the way, 15 runs last night. Um, boom. Boom. But but back to this this whole FBI uh, search thing, uh, I, I want to start out by saying to those people in Fox News land, MAGA land, cyberspace, you know, Steve Bannon, Alex Jones land, who are shocked, shocked at these FBI agents invading this home of, of this great man and all this other stuff, clutching your pearls. Brianna Taylor would like to have a word. Oh, that's right. She's not able to do that. So for all of you guys, just stop, okay? They have been talking to this fool for a year and a half about, hey, you got stuff. Can we have it back? They've had negotiations. They issued a subpoena. Now, do you think any of the three of us, especially a certain one of us, would have gotten that level of courtesy before they just came rolling up on you like that. I would dare say, hell no. So let me just start with the the pearl-clutching nut jobs out there. You know, he should have been. It should have been done a year ago. It should have been done right away. Hell, you know, if, if I don't put put a book back to the library in a certain amount of time, they're coming after me like I just committed a major felony. This guy took top secret documents, possibly nuclear, you know, language and, and information. And you've got these fools out here going crazy. So all I'm going to say is that my one regret is anybody on the other side of the fence that thinks he's going to get indicted, like, you know, Al Capone, you finally bring him down over tax evasion. That's not going to happen. Okay. Let's just get that one out of there. He, he's not going to be indicted. He's not going to go to jail. It, that's just not how the system works in some corners. But it, it is a mess. It is certainly on message for Trump. And quite frankly, it's on message for some of these people. We talked about this last time, you know, at least Stefanik and others who were, you know, immediately going online and talking about the FBI and now their death threats out. I mean, back the blue, you know. You know, they, the same people who said defund the police was so horrible want to defund the FBI. So the level of hypocrisy out here is insane. But the fact that it happened to Trump, <laughs> that's probably the least shocking thing of the whole episode. Uh, that, that's what I got. Jason, your take on the most recent unprecedented event in the history of the republic. <laughs> 
the thing that frankly has amazed me that he hasn't done yet is you know we're, we're starting to see of course oh you know we don't have these things oh well, well maybe we do have these things but if so i <laughs> retroactively declassify them whatever okay yeah. i i am waiting for i kept those documents to keep them safe from all the swamp creatures and all the people of dc who are going to use these and he would try to bend it around and how how the Biden administration was going to mishandle these documents, and he was you know keeping them safe for the people. That's that's what I'm expecting to be the a further development. This where they'll basically admit it, but not so much where he has that level of personal culpability. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you know Mark is already uh, pointing fingers. What at Mark Meadows for you know, I guess for uh, <laughs> being the one who really handled the paperwork on that because you know he's a big picture guy as we know. Um, but you know. I, I don't know. I mean, and some of his believers will probably think, well, well of course he still has these papers because he's still the president. And, um, you know, so you'll get at least, what, 20% of his base believing that will be the case anyway and not, you know, the objective reality. I guess the thing I find most disquieting about it is seeing how some um, folks on the left have responded to it. I mean, obviously, the FBI has a very problematic relationship with many populations in the United States. Uh, you know, look up a uh, Clontel Pro if you want to look up some fun reading from uh, not that long ago. And, um, but, you know, some people just willing to, you know, sort of, you know, take this moment and, you know, blast the FBI when it's really an opportunity to, to blast, you know, all, all the ne'er-do-wells, including Trump and the previous administration. Um, you know, why, why are you diluting the message? Why are you taking this moment to go after the FBI and criticize those on the left who actually want to see the FBI investigation against Trump you know, proceed? And, and by that, I'm, I'm naming specifically the People's Party, uh, that, that band of idiots uh, that's uh, led by uh, Nick Brana, who also has some kind of disturbing allegations out surrounding him. People can feel free to look that up. Um, but it, it, it's these folks on the left who, you know, if I didn't know better, I would say they're being funded by some folks on the right uh, in order to, to, you know, make the messaging not as focused on Trump as it should be. So that's 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 where my problem is right now. I, I don't know what part of any of this is surprising because this truly follows a pattern. Look, it's not like he took... Uh, you know, uh, coffee mugs out of the White House because he wanted mementos that he was actually president. I mean, he's stealing classified documents. And as you said, Jason, there is a slippery slope. Well, no, I didn't. Or, well, you know, the OJ thing. Well, if I did, it was because I loved them, right? Or now, well, yeah, but damn it, uh, you know, or the uh, the local local uh, uh, bandit sign, local political bandit sign uh, uh, pr uh, thing. It was overzealous campaign workers who put up all those signs up and down up and down I ninety five. We didn't know anything, and now we're going into the well, uh, yeah. So I, I like where you're going with your sentiment. And by like, I mean, I think that that's actually where they're going to go was that this was some sort of keeping the actual Oval Office going, uh, mm -hmm. some sort of mechanism to do that. 
What was the actual purpose of doing the thing? I don't know, but wow, how much smoke has been there been about the concept that this person uh, was compromised before he even considered running for the presidency and that he might be some sort of a foreign sympathizer, if not an out-and-out foreign agent. And how many times has there been with Donald Trump that there's smoke, there's smoke, there's smoke, there's smoke, and oh shit, that means there's fire. And there always does. And there's always this projecting of, you know, Hillary Clinton has all the dirty emails and all the dirty information. Well, who really did? There's all of these things where the thing that he accuses his opponents of doing is what he does and what he is. Mm -hmm. So how, how, how can this not end up any other way? Now, whether or not there's, you know, all the kvetching about whether or not to, um, prosecute, indict, etc. I have no tolerance for it. There is no, there is no other precedent. There is no other alternative. Um, the law has to go forward. Steve, to your point, if this was any of us, I mean, I've, I've worked in skiffs, you know, I've done, I've handled classified information and damn it, if I walked out of there with one of those manila folders with the markings on it that showed that it's top secret, uh, it would be my ass in a heartbeat. And, you know, you can't worry. And sure, yeah, the Rudy Giuliani's, the Sydney Pals, and that, you know, level of legal scholar who will be defending him will go to the, oh, you can't, you can't indict the former president because, as Nixon said, if the president does it, it's not illegal, and he's a candidate for president, and you're keeping him from... Uh, going for his livelihood or, or whatever such bullshit. But this right. has to happen. His, his prosecution has to happen. There's no, there's no other alternative. If it doesn't, it advances the doomsday clock of the destruction of this republic from where I believe it is at about seven minutes to midnight to about three. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, he should, but he should be for so many other things that it just doesn't seem to, to be happening. I know, uh, was it Weisselman or whatever his, uh, his CFO just pleaded pleaded out up in New York? But the understanding that, I, that I've gotten just reading stories is he's, he's going to testify. Part of his plea deal was testifying against the Trump organization, but not against the Trump family. So, you know, even that, you know, he's only going to be singing, but so much of a tune. So it, it, it really is, you know, everybody talked for years about Teflon Don. It seems to be the case. Um, and, and he should be glad because his latest of his legal dream team, this is, this is not the OJ team. Uh, I was watching something on Fox with his, I guess, his newest lead attorney, Christina Bob. The jokes write themselves, folks. I'm just not going to go there with that name. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I mean, when, when you go on Fox News and Laura Ingram's like smashing you for basically being an idiot, <laughs> you know, you're not in a good place. So, you know, he's not hiring the best people, contrary to what he always said, but uh, an, an indictment would be nice. And you, I, I, I keep thinking to myself as the week went into week two, what are you thinking if you're Ron DeSantis? At first, you must have been thinking, 
oh, cool. And and then as millions got raised and and everybody from Kevin McCarthy, basically everybody not named Mitch McConnell came out in his defense, you're probably like, well, <laughs> maybe there's not that opening yet for me. <laughs> so I don't know. That's amazing. And, and actually, one of our one of our associates uh, in Howard County recently posted, you know, you know, who's the political consultant that convinced uh, Liz Cheney that there is a road to the White House? And I, and I do agree, especially time is her biggest enemy. I, I am I am convinced maybe for you know, maybe it's just happy thinking, but that there'll be some just so damning piece of evidence that will come out, you know, you know, video of him handing nuclear secrets over to the Russians, <laughs> you know, something along something, something so blatantly obvious that, you know, at least half of, of the MAGA folks will be convinced that, oh, shit, maybe maybe this guy was a con artist all these years. Um, and that someone like Liz can serve a useful function of, you know, just bringing up his malfeasance day after day after day, uh, you know, next year and, and you know, the, the year after. Um whether there's actual road to the White House, I don't know for her, probably not, just based on how much her brand has been decimated in recent years uh, on her own side. Uh, but it, it would be nice to see him held politically to account uh, in addition to being held legally to account, because if, if we're not, a, you know, bounded by the rule of law, um, you know, sort of what's the point? And this is, again, something that came up, you know, and and uh, I think another someone's on CNN talking about this recently. They're like, you know, it's amazing how all these groups uh, that formed all these militia groups, you know, all your proud boys and your oath keepers and all these foot soldiers uh, who became foot soldiers for Trump, essentially, they were all, uh, you know, against tyranny. Uh, yet they seemingly have no during the Obama years, but they seemingly have no trouble, <laughs> you know, working for, you know, the, the whim of a, of a supposed strongman. Uh, who threatens the rule of law more than anyone else has, and <laughs> I would say probably U.S. Uh, history. Uh, so it, it, it's troublesome that the fact that these folks are still out there, and they, they need something, I think, at least legally, to convince some of the softer ones that you know maybe this we shouldn't be idolizing this guy. You bring up, you both bring up some good points about the twenty-four Republican race, but for president, but but. Wrapping up, I'm going to channel my inner John McLaughlin. The odd, the, the probability in percentage that Donald John Trump is indicted on criminal charges within the next 12 months. I have Steve Marino. Percentage that he will be indicted? Yes, sir. Uh, I'll put it 35. Jason I'm not Bing bullish on it, but, there, but I'm saying there's a chance. Jason Bing Bang Booms. I'm sorry, I'm getting to my Jack German pose. Oh, God. Oh, that was my man. Uh, no, I, uh, 40, 42%. Morton Kondracki. Oh, shut up, Morton. We don't care what you have to say. <laughs> well, I kind of think that. What do you want to win, cock? 25%, John. Back go. You're all wrong. The real answer 10 or 60. That's topic. All right. The aforementioned defeat of Liz Cheney. Uh, eight out of 10 of those naughty Republicans who dared vote against Donald Trump in the presidential impeachment part de 
have now lost or or have decided to retire from the sector <clears throat> or from the house there are only two who survived their primary uh but the other eight all be gone um as if there needed to be more evidence of the rightward shift of the Republican Party and the continuation of the fact that in in urban dictionary terms, uh, the Republican Party has become Trump's biatch. Steve, I mean, Steve, what, what other takeaways? Actually, I'm going to start with James. Going to go old school. Jason, okay. what, are, what are the takeaways from, from, from this? very unsurprising result in Wyoming. Well, I mean, and you nailed it. It was completely unsurprising. So it's already been baked in. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think it's yet time, uh, you know, for the anti-Truppers to have their moment yet. I, I, I think we're still waiting for, you know, the other shoe to drop. Uh, something significant because, I mean, the, the, the party is still delusional. I mean, the party, frankly, it's 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 been growing delusional for some time on 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 a host of issues, you know. Unfortunately, I, I was there and, and present when I saw all these very shadowy sort of organizations, uh, you know, really coordinate their efforts. Whether it's on on tax policy, whether it's on social policy, figure out hey, if we're going to have these conservative presidents, you know, let's try to get conservative policies enacted. And there was some frustration with that in the Reagan years and the first Bush years. Uh, and, and so, you know, they in, increasingly became more dominated by that, that more radical faction. And now Trump really capitalized on that moment. Uh, one, one comment that he made uh, was that, you know, he didn't divide the country. The country was divided before he even came into office. Uh, a rare moment of self-awareness, I think, on, on, on behalf of uh, the former guy, uh, although he exacerbated it quite a bit, although he chooses not to, uh, you know, reflect upon that, or he chooses to send very cryptic messages to the uh, attorney general indicating that he could help, you know, bring the heat down or maybe the heat goes up. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, uh, which is very frightening. But I, I do think that the that the anti-Trump moment will happen. Um, you know, in some ways, you saw those folks uh, during I'm trying to think of, you know, some folks during Watergate, some of the Republicans, you know, like, um, you know, former Congressman John Anderson, for example who came out of that uh, as being, you know, seen as, you know, more of a, you know, a true, honest, you know, patriotic public servant who looked beyond party lines to do what was right for the country. And you had many Republicans at the time who were very critical of Nixon, for example. Uh, unfortunately, that's not seemingly the case of today's Republican Party. Um, but uh, I do think that folks like um, uh, Kinzinger, like Will Hurd, uh, like Cheney, will, will have their time. It's just interesting to see if there will be uh, at the presidential level, a willingness to band behind one anti-Trumper to try to consolidate uh, whatever power base that is, and then maybe wait for the right moment for when something really damning comes out for people to give that person a serious second look. And, and I say to this to folks who think it's impossible for Cheney, you know, Nixon lost 60, Nixon lost in 62 for governor. They thought he was dead in 62, 63 politically, and look what happened. Uh, so who knows what might happen with, with uh, Liz Cheney. Jason, when as, as you're think as you're thinking about a putative 2024 Republican primary slate, I mean these names that you hear about, mm -hmm. who are not Trump and are not DeSantis, mm -hmm. Mike Pompeo, Christy Nome, uh, Nikki Haley, um, you know uh, Tim Scott, 
you know, several others. You know, what I what I keep coming up with when I hear this, and, and this is to your point, in, in 2016, Trump barreled through 17 people. And none of these names that I just mentioned seem to have the heft of any of those or around the same amount as many of those who ran in 2016. So, I mean, legitimately, and I didn't even mention Larry Hogan or Liz Cheney in this, because I'm not even sure that they could even run a, a campaign in the Republican Party you know, and get any more than eight votes. But do you, I mean, do you literally see anybody who could stop the path of rage called Trump 24? Uh, from getting that party's nomination, uh, it's, <laughs> and the calendar as it exists, it, it's, it's, it's hard to see him not getting it. I, I just can't think of anyone with, the, with necessarily the stature, but you know, people surprise. I mean, the Republican Party has been more of the party of, you know, uh, the primogeniture. They've got their they've got their, you know, front runners and then the person that's sort of next in line. But Trump seemingly still wants to be next in line, in addition to being the, the, the former guy. Um, it's hard to see anyone. Especially all the wannabes within the party, you know, and then you, you've got your, your Abbots and folks. I think Nikki Haley is trying to play it a little bit too cute by half in terms of like sort of trying to have it both ways and anti, but not really an anti, which I think is a very problematic place to run in. Um, it's, but it's hard to see any Republican really with the, the gravitas needed uh, to, I mean, in a one-on-one in -on -one situation and a normal one-on-one, -on -one, it's hard to see anyone beat uh, beating Trump. She did post on Facebook this week that she met Rod Stewart. So that counts. Oh, Rod Stewart? Well, fuck, you didn't tell me that. This thing's done. <laughs> Steve, Steve, what's your take on the whole Cheney oh, uh, and Maggie, maybe 20, 24 Republican thing? Well, well, first of all, I think Haley would have gotten more buzz if she met John Stewart, but that's a whole other story. But uh, Or she know, would have met more buzz if she had met Formula One legend Jackie Stewart. There you go. The car is going in the plane team three. It's smashing against the wall. It's a blazing inferno, Jim. Oh my. Oh, how how do I how do I follow a, a little F1 talk here? I don't know. But anyway, um, you, you know, you guys hit on some pretty important points and, and when you're talking about alternatives to Trump, and there really are none. And and you asked the question, is there anything to stop this march of Trump to 24? I don't think it matters anymore with this Republican Party because it's not, you know, we talked about this after the 2020 elections. It's no longer about Trump. It's Trumpism. You know, you have a party where come November, Sarah Palin has a chance to go to Congress and Liz Cheney does not. Okay. That's all you need to know. Not to mention the clown car of others, including a few in our great state of Maryland who have been nominated. Um, you talked about what they are calling the impeachment 10, you know, eight of them are gone. And of the two, oh, by the way, one of the two remaining ones is already an underdog because of redistricting to lose in the general election. So you could have one out of 10 left of that group. And th that is the state of the party. It, it is what it is. And, you know, Michael Steele, I was watching it the other day on um, Dead Live White House and it was on Nicole Wallace's show. And uh, it was him, it was, um, I forget the FBI guy that's always on there. He, he scares the crap out of me because his reality checks are just, uh, Frank Fugluzzi, uh, are just next level. And they had another guy who does 
it like basically looks at the dark web and the alt right and it, it was a scary segment to your point jason i think we're on we're at defcon 20 as far as this whole thing coming apart because of if you if this got brought to how organized this very radicalized now becoming mainstream within the republican party is and how they operate and how they turn those lies into truths in the eyes and minds of, of their followers but you know back to the republican party uh, they are who they are and trump could go away tomorrow and you're going to get DeSantis. is there really a difference between the two uh or christy no is there any difference there or josh hawley or I mean, the closest to maybe maybe more of a mainstream Republican is maybe Nikki Haley. But, you know, the one thing Michael Steele pointed out that, that I found fascinating was, you know, they're talking about how this undercurrent within this party has been around for like 50 years. There has been this radical, racist, misogynist, I mean, pick a word, any word, undercurrent. The difference is up until about 2012, give or take, um, the leadership was always good at shutting it down. The leadership now not only tries to tamp down that energy, they feed off of that energy in their quest for money and power. Because if anybody believes Kevin McCarthy believes any of this crap, he doesn't. He just wants to be Speaker of the House. And it's he wants to be Speaker of the House by any means necessary. And if it means kowtowing to people who he doesn't like or respect or agree with or he himself thinks is nuts – He's going to roll with it because that's what's good, that he feels that's the energy that's going to sweep him home. So I don't even know that it matters anymore if it's Trump or somebody else. You're still going to get the same party, which I believe needs to be just torn down, ripped out from the root, and, and started over as a party that looks more like a Republican party that I may or may not have agreed with in terms of policy, but I at least respected that. They wanted to go somewhere. We just had a different way of getting there. And the last thing I just want to throw out here, a couple of the, the folks who ran for Congress of the impeachment 10 were aided and abetted by Democrats. And this whole idea of the Democratic Governors Association, all these groups pumping money into these far-right candidates to get help get them nominated, thinking it's going to be an easy out in the general election. Let me remind you, Trump was supposed to be an easy out in 2016. And we saw how that worked out. So and I want to turn this back to Jason, how you feel about Democrats, you know, some of these organizations pumping money, like the, the fact the Democratic Governors Association spent more money on Dan Cox than Dan Cox did <laughs> to get him nominated. What up with that? That's insane. It drives it drives me nuts. I mean, because there just is a fundamental misreading of what's going on out there if they think that's smart politics, because the odds of Cox winning, uh, you know, aren't great, for example, taking him for as an example in the state of Maryland. But nonetheless, you have to worry about, you know, a set of circumstances could arise. I mean, remember when Rostenkowski lost and like, oh, there's no way this institution, even though there was some malfeasance there, <clears throat> look at his district. And then ends up losing to a Mike Flanagan, a Republican uh, who represented Chicago for one term in the mid 90s. Uh, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, and I think it's just far too risky uh, to, for, for the Democratic Party to be funding such, which is one of the reasons why, I, you know, when, you know, someone asks, 
I'd say don't give your money to the DCCC or the senatorial committee. Give it directly to the candidates you want to give it to, <laughs> uh, preferably those in swing seats. I mean, there's no there's no real reason to be dropping serious money on someone who's in a non-competitive race uh, in the state of Maryland, which fr frankly includes a number of Howard County folks. Now, if they want to cut their own checks out of their you know campaign coffers for another whatever. But the idea of the Democratic Party institutionally doing what they're doing to ramp up what they, who they perceive to be weak candidates, uh, that, that, that's just fraught with peril. So, fraught, so, so this brings up another interesting topic. The, the, and, and we mentioned, of course, Dan Cox. And of course, there's the governor he's replacing, Larry Hogan. Like I said, in a Republican primary, he's going to give out eight votes. Larry Hogan attended the Maryland Association of Counties conference yesterday. He had an up and down kind of day. And for Republicans in Maryland who want to call him Rhino, <laughs> he had a crappy day. Because in the evening, apparently, Larry Hogan tried to go to the Rope Walk Tavern in, uh, in Ocean City, and I credit Barry O'Connell of Everybody's Maryland Politics for posting this online yesterday. And apparently he tried to go to the Rope Walk, which is a conservative owned by a, by a, a conservative. There's one in Baltimore, there's one in Ocean City. And the owner of the establishment told the state troopers, I don't want him here. So <laughs> oh, he was not admitted to the bar and the troopers and Hogan took their business to another restaurant uh, or to another resort, as would go the saying in office space. However, earlier in that day, who should be in the exhibit hall at the same time as Governor Hogan, the Democratic nominee, Wes Moore? And they took an opportunity to meet. It was the stuff of legend. They chatted. They smiled. They took a picture together. It was cutesy wootsy. So, you know, Hogan seems to be branded, you know, branding himself with this no labels brand, although his record in Maryland clearly suggests that he does fit a label, and that is a staunch, out of touch conservative. Is there a pathway for any sort of an independent candidacy, be it a Hogan? be it a Liz Cheney, be it a Hogan and Liz Cheney together, or for somewhere else. I mean, is this where a Howard Schultz, you know, appears again out of nowhere? And I don't think it's even reasonable to talk about an independent candidacy winning the presidency, but is there a pathway by which one could see an independent candidacy, say, swerving the election one way or the other? Steve, I'm going to go back over to you. Well, let, I, I had to go to my phone here because I saw this tweet earlier, so I, I needed to bring it back up. And, and this was the picture of Larry Hogan and Wes Moore, you know, smiling for the cameras after doing a meet and greet. And this comes from Jordana Schifanelli, our mm -hmm. lieutenant governor candidate on the Republican side, who is a hold my beer to the lunacy that is the Republican gubernatorial nominee, Dan Cox. But here's her tweet. And, and Bill, you'll appreciate this one. Imagine your team captain in the middle of the World Cup final game goes to play for the other team by still calling himself the captain of his of your team. What's the English word for that person? <laughs> so, nice. uh, 
So I'll give you a soccer reference for Saturday morning, Bill, or afternoon at this point, or whatever time people are listening, um, that, uh, yeah, he was put on blast by the uh, nominee on the Republican side for the uh, lieutenant governorship for the state of Maryland. That said, um, third party, I, I personally believe would not be good for the Democrats. Uh, because I think Republicans who are going to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump. Um, and th these elections right now, the way this country is divided is so close. I, I would rather see the people who would support a third party candidate vote for Democrats in the name of saving the Republic and, and keeping it from going off the cliff as we stand above the abyss that we've been talking about this morning. Um, so I personally think a third party candidate are votes that could go to the Democratic side that keeps, you know, everything from just going to hell. So is there a path for a third party candidate to win? No. I mean, I'm hearing people talking about, oh, Hogan and Cheney should hook up. I'm like, really? Uh, to do what? And, and don't even get me started on Andrew Yang. I'll, I'll let you guys handle Andrew Yang. I just can't with him. Um, so that's my personal take. Is there a path to win? No. Is there a path to mess with mess up the program? Yes, but I don't think it's the program that people are thinking about, Bill. But by the way, Steve, that thing where somebody who's completely unhinged bring, calls out a a senior uh, political figure and basically schools them and makes them look stupid is now known in political parlance as a Tulsi. Jason, what do uh, you have on that? Uh. Under a certain set of circumstances, I could see a third party candidate meeting with some success. Uh, we're, we're not talking, you know, sort of bull moose party level of success, uh, mm. but uh, <laughs> for whatever that was worth. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think it would have to be very situational. Um, you know, a, a party with uh, Trump as a nominee or a Trump acolyte who's considered a lightweight, who is isn't who is, isn't Trumpy Trumpy enough for the, for the hardcore folks, uh, where some of those uh, people might be looking around. But really, I think the problem would be if if well, the opportunity would be if the Democratic Party nominated someone that was perceived as too far left or weak or whatever. Um, and by the way, I, I heard Steve's comments from uh, the previous show uh, talking about uh, Kamala Harris and, and her potential electability. Uh, I was going to ask you what you thought of that last podcast. I was actually, I'm, I'm loving to know your thoughts, <laughs> except well, that they were bad. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. No, let it rip, man. So let anyway, as I was saying, flan is delicious for the following reasons. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> No, well, having having worked on the Quail 2000 campaign, I, I can guarantee you that Kamala Harris has more of an upside than, 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 than Quail. Because I remember it was late 98, early 99. I'm literally sitting there in the conference room uh, with an easel in front of me thinking, all right, today I'm going to work out the path where Dan Quail gets a nomination for the Republican nomination for president. Let me just write all these other names on the board. Bush, Liz Dole. Forbes, oh shit, on the mark, god damn it. <laughs> and just sort of staring there like, this ain't gonna happen. Well, my work <laughs> here is my work here is done. <laughs> and uh, you know, so so in that way, I'm I guess I have a bit more a feeling of an upside on Kamala Harris, although the presence of Pete Buttigieg in the cabinet, uh, where you've got two it's seemingly two potential front runners, uh, that could get things interesting. And yeah, we haven't seen Kamala Harris with the same, I don't know, almost 
portfolio that some other recent vice presidents have had where they've got like one big thing that they're responsible for like you know gore it was uh you know governmental stuff and process make government more efficient uh in in cheney you had this you know concierge and i mean i mean dick uh you know who you know uh, you particularly trusted uh, for whatever reason on, on foreign policy issues i'm not sure if we necessarily see that uh with kamala harris and what her what her role is in, in that particular white house so I would like to see that defined a little bit better for her to be a, a serious, you know, to be as serious as she could and to be the front runner, uh, which by right she should be as vice president to, you know, to Joe Biden. Um, I, don't know, I think I've probably looped around a little bit too much on that one. But uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could see a third party candidate emerging if, if they see the, the, the potential nominees of the two major parties being particularly weak. And yeah, there are vehicles for it. You know, Andrew Yang trying to launch that sixth party vehicle called, you know, forward, whatever the fuck. And, and just with these ridiculous slogans that are just so vacuous and just, you know, like, oh, you're a duopoly, which is the same thing the People's Party says. But I mean, and they're trying to say they're not ideological, yet they're a political party. I don't, I don't know what's going on over with Yang's folks. And frankly, Tulsi Gabbard, since her name was brought up, I would fully expect her to vote for Trump if Trump is on the ballot again, just because I think she's just, uh, you know, I think she's a grifter, but that's me. Well, well, that's well, this is very true. What, 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 what did you think? What did you think? Jane? Well, well, actually, no, I have two thoughts, two thoughts. I'm getting to the second one first, which is my always my thing. So, so Steve, I'm interested in, in your thought that a third party person would take more away from Dems because and Jason, I'm not sure if this is where you're going with your comments, but I would feel it more likely that you see a Hogan who I don't think, I mean, he's, he's John Delaney with an even creepier laugh in terms of personality. Or a Cheney who seems to be somewhat of a hero. I'm still trying to figure out why people on the left consider her a hero because she basically chose to do her job. Um, and vote for Trump 93% of the time. Sorry. Right, yeah. right. So why are people of our political color going, oh, Liz Cheney's done such a courageous thing. I don't get it. But she seems to have a little bit of a brand built up on that. And of course, Jason, to your point, the prime the, the 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 deadlines and the calendars to be put on the ballots in various states don't exactly align with primary outcomes. So such a third party candidate would have to really start the process, if not before, certainly during while the party nomination is. Steve, I'm interested why you think that a third party person would damage Democrats more, because I see that person coming for more a Cheney, Hogan ilk, and they would take away from Republicans. Well, what I'm thinking is that they would they would take Republicans away that aren't going to vote for Trump anyway. You know, think of a Michael Steele, for example, who in the last election, um, speaking of people who you know you sh you can respect but not make heroes out of, but you know he said clearly, look, I I'm a Republican. I don't vote for Democrats, but. I can't see Donald Trump going back to the White House, so I'm voting for Joe Biden. He publicly came out and said he's voting for a Democrat. And so I think that if, if, the, if it was a Cheney, Hogan type of candidate, it, it's not that Democrats would vote for them. It's that these Republicans 
who don't want any part of Trump, and a lot of them don't even want a part of a DeSantis, would vote this third party and not vote for the Democrat in the name of, mm. uh, we'll call it saving the Republic. So it's it's votes that Democrat that the Democratic nominee could use would be great to have in the camp, but you're not going to get them because there's this other path, which means the the votes between the Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee, that gets even narrower. And that's where you can, anything can happen. It's really a 50-50 jump ball. So that's really what I'm talking about is it's not taken away from them. It's not taking Democrat, registered Democrats moving over. It's taking those Republicans that would cross over. And, and by the way, I agree with y'all's point about Liz Cheney. Um, you know, I don't think she needs to be, you know, put on a pedestal or, or, or canonized and turned into St. Liz. It, it, to me, it's more of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, do I love having her in the foxhole against Trump, who I believe is an existential threat to our democracy and our constitutional republic? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll stand next to Liz Cheney on that fight any day of the week. I love what she's doing on Jan 6. Does that wipe out, to Jason's point, her voting record with the same guy that she is now trying to, you know, banish from the political universe? Doesn't take away from that. I, I think in this day and age, there's not enough room for, you know, two-dimensional thinking, much less three-dimensional thinking. You can appreciate what she's doing on this one issue. You can respect the fact that she said, as, as she herself noted, she wants 73% of the vote. She could have done it again by just bending the knee and kissing some butt. She refused to do it. You can respect that, but at the same time, hold her accountable for her voting record Otherwise, whether it's Trump or, you know, her voting record when it comes to things within the Biden, you know, Democrat agenda. So that's really why I was going with the vote thing. But since uh, Jason mentioned uh, Cheney, I wanted to throw that out there as well. So an opportunity cost for Democrats, given the fact that fewer votes in 2020 could have turned the election the other way than in 2016, despite the fact that the popular vote margin was was broader. Right. Jason, I want to give you a chance to comment on 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 said last uh, podcast, if if not any other podcast that you've heard of ours, about the the possibility of a Bidenless Democratic primary. Your thoughts? Um, I got to be careful on this because if we hearken back, and I'm glad we don't have the reel pulled up of me four years ago saying that Biden will be out of the race by whatever time I said it was. I, I had forgotten about that, but now <laughs> you just brought it back. <laughs> Granted, this was pre-COVID before the party decided to rally behind, you know, oh, it's, you know, Biden, safe choice, whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> ah, God, Bidenless, Bidenless, Bidenless. Um, I don't know. And who I'll, else I'll... might run in case it was Bidenless? I'm sorry? And who else might run in case it was Bidenless? Oh God! Well, you know, and I did listen. I did listen to your bit on on, on Sanders and Warren and what the possibilities are there. I mean, but to me, Warren's always been just more or less a straight up liberal. She she fainted a little bit more social democrat. I think early on in the primary before she, I think she switched on um, on uh, Medicare for all during the course of the primary. If I'm not mistaken, I think Harris did too. Quite frankly. Um, which uh, multiple times, I think. Yeah, yeah, that she jumped like a bean. Yeah, um, Sanders, I, do, I just, you know, part of me doesn't want him to run again. Um, just you know, 
if we want a clear contrast, especially if Trump is the nominee, you know, you'd like to get someone from a different generation, and by different, I mean younger generation, to <laughs> contrast against uh, uh, this decidedly decrepit uh, baby boomer in the form of, uh, of Donald Trump. Um, but then again, those who are truly on the left are, are, are very few and far between. Uh, and even then, they take flack from other folks on the left. AOC, for example, a lot of people are still pissed at her for not following through on, on force the vote. Um, although I would, I, I would love if AOC ran as a, as in, uh, in 2024. Uh, I don't yeah, think least, she's 35 yet. She will be by January 20th. I checked. Oh, <laughs> she, okay. would, she wouldn't be on election day, but she would be by the time she had to take office, but that might be a little bit too much of a constitutional issue for people to get worked up over. Um, I'll take another member of the squad. Um, but um, I, I heard you mention the names, I, you know, from the last uh, podcast. I mean, I, Whitmer makes a heck of a lot of sense. Abrams, of course, definitely doing a great job of, uh, of you know, building up, uh, frankly, doing all the great party building work. And fr frankly, demographically, the South is ready to, to make some major moves. I just don't mean Georgia and, and North Carolina. I mean, if you take a look demographically, Mississippi is getting interesting. Alabama could be interesting. Maybe not 2024, but, you know, maybe 2032, we're looking at states could be very competitive. Uh, so it will be interesting to see, I mean, uh, not to be too morose about it, but depending on when some people drop dead and, um, and just, you know, just migratory patterns of, of a lot of people moving from northern states, then they're bringing their uh, northern progressive values with them uh, to other places of the country uh, that may be more conservative. Um, but yeah, I, and, I, and Tim Ryan is, is interesting in Ohio, and I really hope he just, you know, wipes up the floor with that opportunist uh, J.D. Vance, for example. So I think he would definitely be an interesting choice. I mean, you got to look at folks from swing states who get elected state, you know, statewide uh, as being potentially really serious. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sold on Booker. I know Cory Booker's name was brought up a few times, but I, I was just so underwhelmed by his perfor debate performances previously that I mean, he was just there for me. I, I don't know. Um, but there, there's, there's a lot of Democrats who fall into that particular category uh, for me. Uh, but, you know, it would be probably a large field again, you know, vying for, you know, vying for the role. If it was a truly open seat, even if uh, Kamala Harris and or Buttigieg were to get in this thing, you still see there'll be a couple of members of Congress and a couple other folks that threw their hats into the ring. And, and to your point you raised on this show, granted, uh, you still see the possibility of some sort of multimillionaire getting in. Um, in some ways, it does have a little bit of a 92 Perot feel to it again, that someone might come in thinking that oh, there's so much anger at the two parties, which I think is a result of people misreading poll data, quite frankly. Um, but you, 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 it definitely feels as though there could be a third party uh, nominee in here. Now, whether it's like a, essentially an ersatz Republican Party, which it would be if it was Hogan Cheney, or they try to come up with some sort of national unity ticket, uh, you know, Hogan and the D or Cheney and the D. Uh, then that, yeah, I could see that definitely hurting the Democratic Party uh, significantly, especially if there was someone new at the top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there, that was terrific analysis, but I will caution that there was one name I was waiting to hear that I, that I missed, and that would be the, the titan from the north, former Alaska Governor Mike Gravel. <laughs> uh, isn't he dead? No, did he? Are you sure? I don't know. I hope he. I hope that didn't happen. He never. Well, who's buried in my backyard, Bill? Medal of Freedom. <laughs> I'm sad. Anyway, Jason's staying with you. 
I believe our, our last issue on the on the on the agenda today is that you wanted to bring up something you had mentioned the People's Party earlier in the podcast and a, a cautionary tale of note, I believe was the word you used for some of our own uh, beloved local Democrats. Could you please could you please care to expound? Oh, absolutely. Oh, and, and yes, by the way, I am sad to report that Mike Gravel, former U.S. Senator from the great state of Alaska, did pass away June 26, 2021. Well, that's obviously why you didn't bring him up. I stand corrected. <laughs> the greatest now comeback of like all the, time. Now this feels like the old skit on Saturday Night Live where, yes, he's still dead. Uh, <laughs> Generalissimo Francisco Franco. We have made so many Gen X references today. I believe this is against the concept of growing audience for this podcast. We should be talking more about K-pop. Oh, God. Does Joe Joe Rogan do that on his show? What does Joe Rogan do? He just hates and and spews. Hate and spew. Oh, God. That again, that again, that can get you far in podcast world. I mean... Apparently. Look at look at some other recent local examples. <laughs> Eight and spew. Well, I, I was going to bring up one thing, and and this you're seeing a lot of, I think some of the major defects. The People's Party and their their putative front runner, a comedian named Jimmy Dore, who they're pushing to run for president in 2024. It worked for Zelensky. <laughs> um, that's true. And look at him today. Uh, but. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, you see folks who are theor- who call themselves Democrats. Yet, can you imagine if a lot of folks from a certain slate had won their uh, the primary election for the Howard County Democratic Central Committee? How truly committed would some of those folks have been to working for the re-election of of, of Calvin Ball, <laughs> or you know, or in the fourth district? You know, had it not been Deb, Deb Young winning re-election? Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm just having a hard time. Sorry. I, I feel like I'm sort of getting into rich Eisen mode where I'm standing and I'm, I'm just pausing, you know, thinking very seriously about, you know, the, the, the possibilities of the electoral possibilities of some of these folks. But, um, I'm sorry. What was, uh, what was the point I was making with this? I'm sorry. The con- Well, I, I, all the connection between the people's party and this this other uh, group of candidates for yeah, the uh, central committee. I mean, they seem more interested in tearing down other Democrats than they are working to build up a, a new organization. You know, some sort of big popular front sort of move that that'd be great. Um, you know, uh, had Britain gone another way a few election cycles ago, and you know, had the Lib Democrats uh, along with Labor working together. Um, you know, with Tories as a minority, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, sizable percentage of the vote, but still, you know, a, a relative minority um, of the other two parties have gotten together. Uh, I, I'm just so tired of the critiques that we're getting, especially, I think we're, we're all, and we've, we've talked about this theme before, uh, you know, if, if America is at a precipice, is, is it not better for us to, to go under one banner united against Trumpism? The Democratic Party seems to be the best possible vehicle for this. To pick fights over extremely narrow issues uh, seems ridiculous at this point in time. Uh, so I, I feel a lot of disgust 
uh, towards, again, those folks in the People Party or some local Democratic activists who seemingly all they want to do is bash uh, Democrats. Uh, I don't know what purpose that serves. It, it seems ridiculous to me. You've got those people that are out there, you know, maybe trying to raise their own particular profile. But I don't think it's serving any legitimate long-term purpose as far as party building is concerned. Not that I'm much, not that I'm much of a Democrat anyway. Uh, you know, socialist workers uh, can uh, get their stuff together. But I mean, you have to recognize at this point in time, it's, it's not a time to be a dilettante and just you know fiddle faddle around. Uh, you know, in, while giving Republicans a chance to uh, pick up more elective offices. It's, it's, it's too well, dangerous a time for that. Well, I hear you. I mean, I, I think internally in the Democratic Party, I, I think, you know, and this local stuff, and we've all talked about this ad nauseum. I mean, it just gets more and more ridiculous as time goes on. But this local stuff, there has to be a balance between total echo chamber, rah-rah, anything you say and everything you say is awesome and everything you do is crap. And I believe I mentioned in the last podcast, the stakes are a little bit higher now and they're a little bit too high. And so the people who are saying everything you do is crap, I think need a glass to chill the F out and, you know, just kind of be quiet for a little bit. Or, you know, disagree less, pick your fights, pick your battles, because the alternative is not just a, is not merely a less savory Democrat. The alternative is somebody who does not believe in democracy. And that is true on the local level, too. Anybody who wants to believe that Alan Kittleman will be some sort of proven independent leader has got rocks in their head. Because if elections went a certain way and, and January 25 saw Donald Trump as president and Dan Cox as the governor of Maryland, you betcha Alan Kittleman would be putting his brown shirt on right along with the rest of them. So the only way to fight this is to vote D. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying vote blue no matter who, but know where your life is better and know what party being in office has a chance to do the things you want them to do. Might be difficult one way or, you know, but why not give it a shot? And the other difficulty I saw on a much more facetious note is that if people from the other slate would have won, then there would have been two championship belts at the Democratic <laughs> Unity Breakfast and that would have been like the WWF in the late 80s when Ted DiBiase came into the promotion and introduced the million dollar belt as an alternative to Hulk Hogan's World Heavyweight Championship. Steve, what do you make of this? I'm sorry, I'm still getting over the metal image of uh, the million dollar belt being held by some of these local folks, but I'll, I'll pass through that. Um, yeah, I think excellent points there. And, and, and you're right. This is really, to, to Jason's point, this is no time for this sort of, you know, minor foolishness over, really a lot of it is, is not even over policy per se. It's how far to go with a particular policy. Like if, if one side was able to get, you know, three of something, they get slammed because they didn't get five of something. And, and I'm sort of thinking it beats the heck out of the other side who was going to give you none of it. <laughs> so I mean, I've even seen people online now that go, I've seen Democrats, you know, 
from the progressive wing, going after AOC because she's not been enough of a firebrand and she's actually signed off on some of the Biden agenda. And I'm like, would you rather Trump had won and she's fighting to get nothing done or try to make best of what's getting accomplished or you know try to take it and make it as good as possible and then once you get there it's the old don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and you know when i saw stuff like that i'm like you're going after aoc are you you really don't have better things to do with your energy than to go after somebody who is certainly much more in your corner than i don't know um lord bobert (laughs) so you know, you, you see that, and, and, and even some of the, I mean, we talked about Liz Cheney and, and how she certainly shouldn't be put on a pedestal, but she also shouldn't be torn down for taking a particular stand. And, and I see, you know, Democrats going after Republicans or former Republicans who are, who are now at least fighting the good fight to, to, to keep Trumpism from taking over. I mean, as I reference back to Michael Steele, you know, he, I think he was on with somebody and actually, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Michael Steele, but it was, um, Two people in the January 6th committee, might have been Jamie Raskin, saying, you know, I look forward to the days where I can fight with Liz Cheney again. But right now we've got a bigger goal and a bigger task at hand. And that's the point is um, there is a bigger issue out here. And you've got one political party that is dedicated to at least some form of democracy. And that would be the Democratic Party. And you have another part of the Republican Party that, I mean, they, they just had the, what is that, CPAC, and they had like the dictator from Hungary or wherever the hell he's from over. Okay. That's that party. Th- those are the people who they admire. Those are the people who they want to emulate. You know, if, if you want no further evidence that they are, they are against everything that this country should stand for, just look at that and call it a day. So, you know, drilling it down locally, you're right, Bill, and you and I talked about it. You basically had one side that was saying, Nothing to see here. Everything's great. And another side that wants to tear it all down. And as I have said, the answer is probably somewhere between the two. And I wish the, the slate that lost would have focused their energy on presenting a case for building a better beast, for improving what's already there. You could call out what your party's not doing correctly or what you feel could be done better without just saying everybody sucks. Um, and they just, to Jason's point, they just seemed hell-bent on just burning the house down. And there was really, at least I didn't hear any answer of, once the house is burnt down, then what are you going to do? I, I never heard that. I just heard the whole yeah. thing's corrupt that needs to be totally laid to waste. Okay, and then what? Yeah. And I never heard a clear answer. I, I, I get it that they're, you know, local elections produce sore winners, right? Yeah. And, and also, they also produce a lot of false friends. Oh, yep. I'm with you. I'm behind you 100%. And then they run when it comes election time. Or you win and you have all these people who never really supported you saying, oh, I knew you were going to do it. Um, you know, I would urge that there's a lot of energy. There's a ton of good energy on, you know, on the side of these, the, the folks locally who we've been talking about. Uh, channel it towards good stuff. You, mm-hmm. you degrade yourself when you keep channeling it towards insulting somebody because they posted an idiotic thing on YouTube or they were mean to you at an event or, you know, you know or, or other stupidity. And there was a good bit of stupidity. 
a good bit of stupidity, but you got to move on. Jason, you get the last word on this issue. <laughs> well, I wanted to say one thing. As someone who's perhaps sent out a few too many uh, emails, direct messages, <laughs> uh, tweets, <laughs> where I engaged, you know, ad hominem is a strong word. Uh, actually, it's two words, technically. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you got to... Sometimes you got to tell people some stuff about themselves. And sometimes I don't do it in the most constructive way possible. And I, of course, apologize to those who deserve the apologies. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there's a certain disingenuousness that's, that's out there. And let me, let, me, let me give you an example. Um, I think one of the things that, one of the reasons why we're in the, as precarious a situation as we are is, you know, not just the weakened commitment to the rule of law, but also a sense that the government isn't particularly effective. Uh, and that, you know, definitely there's a feeling at the national level, and I think it probably subsides slightly as you go closer to the local level. Uh, but even there, you get people who seemingly are less concerned about effectiveness rather than, you know, um, you know, to your point, I want to burn this down, or I want to be a firebrand. I want to be a voice for these people. And actually a particular, and by that, I'll give you an example. Uh, a candidate for the Board of Education recently sent me a friend request on social media. Uh, this was someone who I never would expect to hear from uh, because I had also messaged this person previously with a couple of um, words of advice. Uh, and um, <laughs> not in a productive, meaningful sort of way, uh, but, um, but it's you get these individuals that you know that they, they, they run they go to these local offices such as board of education and they use that to be a building block for their own political careers although heaven forbid they're not political people uh let's get the politics out of howard county public schools this is ridiculous and, and you see and you, and you see and you hear a lot of that you know coming out from folks who are more than willing to throw up dog whistles more than willing to talk about neighborhood schools um, and yet somehow they're, they're, they're pure because they're not politically motivated or driven. And yet they touch upon every sort of hot button issue that exists. So I, I find that to be infuriating because that's just, are, are they truly so stupid they, they believe that about themselves or are they just being so um, disingenuous and they don't care? Uh, I mean, we see that at the national level too, but seeing it also permeate at the local level, it's, it's it's nonetheless very frustrating and gives one sort of a sinking feeling about the history, about the future of the Republic. Bravo and well put, sir. Well, Jason. And I by the way, I did not accept this person's friend request. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even going to ask. Anybody can be friends with anybody. It's all good. Jason, did, have, have you enjoyed yourself today? You have been a wonderful guest. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and frankly, I'll say this, and, 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 and I know, you know, Bill, obviously you enjoy the gig and, and Steve, I, I've really appreciated, you know, seeing all the work you, you've, you've been putting in on the show. Uh, very, it's, it's, it's a lot better being a guest. <laughs> I feel way less pressure to do homework and, and sit down and read things and, and take notes. So yeah, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> well, cool. Well, mm -hmm. cool. We'll have you come back again. And, and Steve, I appreciate what you said earlier on about the 200th episode. And in, in response, I thank you. And uh, also Jason, uh, Katya Fort Roden, who was with us for a short amount of time. 
Um, and all of you out there in viewer and listener land to keep viewing and listening because that's part of what keeps us going on uh, despite some adversity, uh, despite what, you know, some of those stupid human tricks. Uh, maybe uh, the word blackballing is not too strong a word to use with some of our uh, liberal friends uh, in, in, in uh, local democratic politics. Um, you know, because their podcast needed to be the important one that, you know, that needed to be listened to. And well, we never got any money from developers or any of those other interests. But, you know, like I said in my last comments on the last issue, you understand that, you vent your spleen at that, you realize what it is, and you go on. You don't keep reminding people about it years later. Now, what did I just do? Did I just remind people about it? Yeah, because that's our history. That's how this started, you know, but with our labor, uh, with the help of people like the aforementioned Barry O'Connell, uh, some other people uh, and very smart people and new friends we've gotten to meet all around the state uh, and even outside of the state of Maryland, um, you know, we put together a nice little production, and I'm very proud of it. And I would have rather, I would never would have rather have taken one of these shortcuts uh, to take somebody's money so we can get a space where we can have a restaurant host us and give us free apps and whatnot um, if we couldn't be honest in what I, we were saying and what we were doing. I almost feel like you're talking about someone, but I'm not, but I'm not sure who. So, talking about yeah, a number, no, right? I, you know, I, you know, it, it, there's, there's names and faces, of, you know, floating through my brain, Mr. Woodcock. Lots of how, lots of Howard County politics is disingenuous as hell. Lots of Maryland politics is disingenuous as hell, and okay. lots of federal politics is disingenuous as hell. Um, but, you know, you could either get angry about it or you could just keep plugging away and doing stuff about it. So I have been in my spleen way too many times. You know, it's time to go, as they say, gentlemen, forward. And to Andrew Yang, I'm coming at you, big man, with, with a big old lawsuit. So beware. <laughs> beware, Yang gang. I'm coming. <laughs> you have... And, and, and I'm also proud to announce that next week, booked during this very show, has been next weekend's guest as we stay in the county of Howard. And we have Howard County Register of Wills, Byron McFarlane, booked to talk about question five in Howard County, which hey. would do away, or in Maryland, which would do away with the ridiculousness of the orphans court. And so I, I guess I've already shown where I sit on this, on this map. Feedback in the house. I like it. That's what matters. Absol absolutely. Repeat, repeat uh, appearance by, by BMAC. So with that in mind, for Steve Hunt and Jason Booms, my name is Bill Woodcock. You have been watching and or listening to another edition of Forward Maryland. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. <laughs>